Welcome to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, editor of New Money Review. For the next half an hour, listen in for a debate about the future role of community currencies, currencies issued by local communities, whether that's in a particular geographical location or a virtual community. To talk with me on this topic, I'm joined by David Anderson, who is president and lead volunteer at SIMBI, which is a California-based nonprofit focused on community and individual development. David, thanks for joining the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a bit about yourself and your background, your area of work? Sure thing. My name is David Anderson. I'm a social entrepreneur, um, digital consultant for mostly nonprofits, startups, uh, any uh, organization with a social mission that's that I find interesting. Um, and I do a lot of work in the community currency world as well. Okay. Um, community currencies uh, have... Um, I guess, generated quite a lot of interest since the invention of cryptocurrencies. And I know that um, David Birch, who's written some really interesting books about money, thinks that community currencies are an area of growth for the future. Um, at the same time, I was at a, an event earlier this week for the Bristol Pound. They were they, they basically, um, their project didn't work out, so that the, the idea of introducing a local version of the British Pound. And there was a very interesting conference earlier this week where they talked about different models for local currencies, how things might work in future. Um, could you talk a little bit about your involvement in this area and you know what you think has worked, what hasn't worked? Uh, yeah, I think one of the keys is that uh, community currencies have been around long before cryptocurrencies, right? Uh, it's not just since the cryptocurrency craze on the speculative side has started that people have realized you can start to use this for uh, more kind of direct on the ground community uses. Um, Things like time banks and uh, let's local exchange trading systems and other community currencies uh, have been around for 30, 40 years now. Um, and the issue is that they're just there's no business model around them. There's no profit to make off of running one. It's solely for community benefit. And so there's never been a like really strong reason to scale them up other than just the idea that you want to do good for your community. And there's you know, very rarely any like uh, large, uh, you know, windfall coming from that for any individual. Yeah. I mean, in, in the context of the Bristol Pound, uh, I, they, they cited a figure during Tuesday's uh, presentations that only 0.02% of the residents of Bristol ever signed up to it. And they, did, they just didn't manage to get um, sufficient scale, I guess, because, you know, converting the pounds in your physical wallet or your digital wallet into a local version of the same thing and then maybe back again at a future uh, point it was too much for people to 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 do and then you know that that, that, didn't, that didn't help them to, to get the right scale so maybe a different approach was needed now i understand that the yeah. venture you've been involved in Cindy simbi has a, has a rather different approach to to doing things um, perhaps you could explain a bit how it works uh, sure thing. Real quick on the, the Bristol Pound side and, and a lot of these community currencies, I think one of the issues is that it's it can't just be the goodwill of the system. There actually has to be incentives in the system for it to work. So um, for those types of things to work, I think the, the ones that do work or find any success are ones that find a way to incentivize businesses or, or other parties that are necessary for the, the overall web of transactions to work incentivize them to, to get involved and, and give them discounts and incentivize them to give to pass discounts on to their to their customers as well. Um, so you know I think there's a lot of potential innovation around that. What Simbi does is not a local currency in the sense that uh, Berkshires or Bristol Pounds were uh, where they have 
a one-to-one reserve of uh, national uh, currency on hand. Uh, and the kind of goal of the currency is just to keep activity local and not and that export value outside of the community. Um, with Simbi, it's more mutual credit. Uh, it doesn't rely on state money necessarily in any way, the way that uh, a lot of uh, one-to-one back local currencies do. Um, and what this means is it's it's more just like a bunch of strangers doing favors for each other because outside of this community, that uh, currency doesn't really mean anything. Like it's the trust within the Symbi community that gives it any kind of meaning whatsoever. And it's everyone's agreement within the community that they're all going to treat it the same way. Um, so I understand how, how it works, David. So if I could go on Symbi, I can set, set up an account. I can then offer my services. Uh, I don't know what I could offer, maybe editing services or... I could do Russian to English translation or some other sure. things. Um, uh, and then I could either swap that for somebody else's services or I get I get paid in inverted commas in, in, a, in a kind of token. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So the, and how do you, and how does how does the value of the of an individual's services get established? Is it just kind of through to and fro between the individual participants on the system or you can just Stick your thumb in the air and say, "I think I'll charge you. I'll charge twenty-five Simbi tokens and see if that's right, or maybe it should be five or hundred. I don't know. Is, is that yeah, we, is that the process? So what we do is we set a guideline where we encourage people to think about one Simbi credit as if it's roughly the equivalent value of one dollar. But from there, anyone can increase or de- decrease their prices for any particular thing they're offering. Uh, however they want. So if you provide really high value services, you're doing video editing or uh, lawyer advice or you know something like that, you can charge a, a normal price the way you would, or you can price something terrible really high and you're just not gonna get any any hits on it, right? So it's, uh, it's just a uh, common metric for everyone on the system to realize uh, kind of where everyone's at. Um, if someone has a ton of Simbi credits, you can be very reasonably sure that they've done a lot of useful things for other people on the on the platform. Whereas in kind of standard society, just by looking at someone's bank account and, and their wealth status, you can't really be sure uh, much about them except that they somehow got that money, right? You can't tell if they did that through, you know, complete fraud or, or helping people out in a, in a reasonable standard economic way. Right. Uh, and yeah. so Simi is kind of bringing that, bringing that back to say, this is the only type of uh, transaction or, or interaction that we're encouraging here. Right. So, the, I mean, the system I can see would work well for something like maybe translation services or maths tutoring or whatever, but it might not work so well for some, you want somebody to come out and fix your window or, or, you know, or, or do a delivery for you. Is it, I mean, is it is it more kind of global than local, or do you think it's, it caters to both markets? I think the system is set up so that it can work in any situation. Uh, what we've seen so far in the initial years of Simbi, um, it was a for-profit originally. We've converted it to a nonprofit and kind of relaunched it. Um, but uh, since uh, its inception, it's been mostly an online phenomenon where people are trading services that are uh, that you can provide to someone remotely. Um, but there are also pockets of local use where it works just as well as any other kind of existing app for, uh, you know, community trading, that type of thing um, at the local level as well. So we have uh, right now we have a group in Tasmania, for example, who has 
pretty much moved over all of their few hundred people from an older piece of community exchange software um, that wasn't really being maintained anymore. And they're all using it locally in, you know, just directly trading seeds and, and, and helping out with handiwork, you know, around each other's houses. Uh, but I will say that most of the transactions currently on Symbi are generally graphic design or something else that can be provided. It's interesting. You've got a hub of people in, in Tasmania. Are there any other geographical locations around the world where, where it's taken off in ways that you didn't expect? Uh, originally, the original Symbi team, which raised a bunch of money and was originally a, a for-profit company, invested heavily in uh, U.S. cities where there's kind of like uh, hippie hubs like Boulder, Colorado or Austin, Texas, San Francisco, places like that, where they really pushed the uh, in-person meetups, what they called Symbi swaps, uh, where a lot of this activity can be completed in person and then reflected on the app, you know, as you're doing it or afterwards. Um, so there are, there have been places right now, I would say Tasmania is the main active community that we've got doing that on a local basis. But the, the kind of larger point is that there's no, there's nothing about the Symbi model that restricts it from anything from all the way from hyper-local to, you know, worldwide global, yeah. uh, dig, digital help. Now, you talked earlier about the, um, you know, the, the need to get some, I guess, virality or something, you know, that take that causes a platform like this to take off and you mm -hmm. need to have some kind of incentive mechanism. And I guess over the last five years, maybe a bit longer, we've seen, you know, an explosion of that kind of idea in the cryptocurrency market where, you know, the natural thing is, to, oh, look, this is my idea. Here's my token. Here's, you know, I listed on Binance and I, you know, the founders walk away with tens of millions, if not more. I mean, that's, that's not something you consider doing. Yeah, I think speculation is something that is a fundamental issue in especially crypto, but in kind of considerations of value overall, just in general. Um, I think we make a major mistake when we think about value and money and incentives and then mix the incentive of speculation with other incentives that we expect to be applied to that money. Uh, I think if if speculation is possible, it will take over every possible other incentive of yeah. a particular uh, kind of money um, and and just kind of subjugate them or, or make them kind of not not as important uh, just because of how how uh, powerful it is as an incentive to say, I can just be clever and get rich from it without any effort whatsoever. Uh, that's you know that's gonna be a very powerful mechanism no matter what. So I think, for Symbi, our, it's absolutely, we make massive trade-offs uh, in terms of what we can or we could possibly do in order to safeguard ourselves from ever getting into that territory. Symbi credits will never be exchangeable for dollars. There's no way to do that right now. Um, and that's why it's not as big a deal for us to have a specific exchange rate. Um, I think if we were ever going to establish one, it would just kind of be a one-to-one um assumption that we could never really enforce but as long as yeah. the community continues to act uh, uh with the same assumptions as everyone else in the community then we're and we're fine and as as long as we don't introduce any potential place where someone could uh like profit in national currency from doing something weird with symbi credits on our platform then uh then i think we're fine and so far we've avoided that yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult uh, balance to strike, isn't it? And as you said uh, a few minutes ago, once the speculative 
urge uh, gets involved, it's very difficult to to stop it. I mean, it kind of takes over everything. Um, yeah, but, but and I think I, that's my main yeah. criticism of most of current like uh, regen and refi and really like well intentioned um, token economics is yeah. that people haven't accepted that you actually have to separate those two things. Um, as long as there's kind of a free floating price on on atom or whatever your like really well-intentioned token is then it's it's going to be subject to those those same incentives you know yeah and as we've seen in the cryptocurrency market over the last couple of years you know that that takes you to these wild speculative peaks and then it then it all crashes and it's not it's not a stable system at all um but then right. having, and then, then what sustainable said, value are you getting from it <laughs> yeah but then having said that the, the, i guess the speculative urge is, is always there it's part of human nature and it's a question of, 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 of um, maybe not allowing it to get to some such is it is it part of human nature or is it part of unfulfilled human nature i think if you're in a situation where you're experiencing a lot of scarcity you'll do pretty much anything to to like back out of that and, and get into a situation where you have more abundance. And if that only seems possible at the expense of other people, then you're going to do whatever's necessary to do that for, for yourself. Anyway, if it seems possible that you can all uh, not experience scarcity together, then you don't necessarily, you're not as inclined to, to take that route. And I think that's part of what the community on, on Simbi shows. I, I, I don't think it's just human nature. I think it's kind of social circumstance that, that leads people to, to act like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking that it's part of human nature looking back at financial history because it's, it's been a recurrent theme throughout financial history that there have been these speculative manias and then they, they, they disappear and then things go in a different direction for a while then they, they reappear. It just seems like a common Theme. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just observing that it's uh, that it seems to happen regularly. I do think it, it it is recurring, but I still think it's it's based on the social circumstances it, that that uh, it happens within in, in each yeah. of those cases. Like if you go back and look at the history of debt over the last five thousand years, or you know, or, like it's that kind of it's the same motivations over and over and over whenever you whenever you see those cycles happen. Um, and I don't think we've like significantly stepped out of that in any way even with all of our complex financialization and 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 not at all I mean, we're just we're just re, re you know reliving very old debates in some ways and you know, it comes down to the question <laughs> exactly. of whether whether um you know whether money should earn interest whether it shouldn't earn interest maybe local community money doesn't maybe some kind of savings money does but then what should the interest rate be and so for these are these are debates in which people have argued for for a very long time, and uh, right. I'm not sure that we're any closer to to answering the question. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think I think it all comes down to who controls that, like that value pr provision, and and who decides how much money is out there, and and who decides like what, why there is as much money as there is out there, like what the justification for for the size of the money supply is at any given moment. Like those are all very important questions that we just kind of like outsource completely for 99.9% .9 of people and i think they're they actually matter and will and and would change what you do in in any kind of uh crypto market or community currency operation or, or anything else i think that it's like a fundamental question yeah but what i mean one thing that the last decade has shown um whatever you think of the speculative mania we've just seen in, in cryptocurrencies whatever you think about Matt Damon and Kim Kardashian promoting 
cryptocurrency tokens on on you know on, on in the media. Um, the, the the fact is that we know we now know that you can have these. I mean, if cryptocurrencies have done one thing alone, they've they've shown that it is possible to have some kind of token system. You can people can set it up by themselves. You don't need to rely on the government to do it. It doesn't have to be somebody else's money that you just use. It is possible to have competing and complementary versions of money, whether it's uh, the dollar, the or another national currency, Bitcoin, or or, or Simbi. And people are increasingly getting used to the idea, or other kinds of other tokens that you store in your in your digital wallet. People are getting used to the idea that you have maybe hundreds or thousands of these things. Uh. I, I think that is starting to happen a little bit. I think it's less widespread than than most people in the industry would like to think. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't think crypto in particular has like changed most people's view of how that's possible. If they used a lot of different uh, value placeholders for themselves, they did barter within their communities or things like that anyway. Then I think they like see the potential for that to be easier with blockchain. But I don't actually know anyone in real life who sees anything anything different about their their the value provision in their lives or their or their like how how finance works i was just thinking that people probably have uh, i was trying to argue that people have become more open-minded about the coexistence of these things that, that they can all be there i think some uh, people have i don't think yeah. most people i you know i think there's definitely like a a range of early adopters who who have started to to Think that way, but I think, uh, like you said at the beginning, when people when they go out with the Bristol pounds and and try to get people to adopt it, uh, people basically are fine using the money they use already, unless there's some really significant reason to to change. Um, and in the crypto world, the biggest reason that people say we shouldn't be fine with using uh, the money we already use uh, is probably not their actual motivation for getting into it they're probably in the crypto world because they would like to do well for themselves at this point yeah. right like they like that's why all of the arguments for crypto ring so hollow when you when you hear them because you it's obvious that the person is actually just trying to make crypto bigger so that they will benefit overall but they don't actually like either don't either deeply believe the arguments or like have accepted them without critical analysis because if if that argument goes well, then they benefit financially, right? Like I, you know, you see so many bad arguments in crypto that uh, like it's it's pretty obvious that there's just you know that that speculative or you know financial benefit behind it, and none of that is unique to the last five. People have been creating voucher systems and and things like that without the need for a blockchain for decades and decades. Um, I, I still haven't seen any. Like I mean, I. Agreed things like stable coins and having, you know, instantaneous settlement and things like that. Like there are, there are uses for technical aspects of, of certain things, but just in general, in terms of like the, the revolutionary side of it, I, it's, I would say 99% of arguments just ring incredibly hollow. Like for instance, there, we've still seen zero reason why Symbi needs to be on a blockchain at this point. Like if someone wants to come and rip out our current infrastructure and place it on a blockchain and save us, you know, our hosting bill every month. That would be a reason to do it, sure. If we're if you know that computation is happening on users' phones instead or some some other place, sure, that might be a reason to do it. Uh, but as it is, our databases are well protected and safe, and occasionally we don't want them to be append only. You know, there's like there's <laughs> like that's that's another issue with with uh, money, and it again it 
boils back down to who is actually controlling the provision and the rules around how, how it's issued and how its supplies maintained. And that's all that ends up really mattering in any of these situations. Yeah, I mean, but then, then um, I, mean, I completely agree with you. But the, 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 then we've got things like you know the, the, the tech giants' payment systems, which are becoming uh, ubiquitous. You know, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, the Chinese versions of that. Mm. You know, they're incredibly powerful. They're incredibly useful for most people. I mean, I personally have gone to using it all the time compared to using quite cash quite a lot a couple of years ago, and I've I've succumbed to that trend. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, I know that there are pros and cons. And I know we've both read uh, Brett Scott's book, Cloud Money, um, which makes an impassioned defense of the need for cash. And I completely understand where Brett is coming from and the, you know, the argument that is we, we need to have access to a state form of money that doesn't have some huge tech giant as an intermediary. But then how, does, how do any of us, like a small community currencies or community networks, compete with these giants who know all about us, they know all our, our search profiles, our individual profiles are increasingly our, our our health data, our movement data. I mean, they, they have a surely they have a kind of impregnable position that no one can get near. Yeah, I think Brett makes a really good point about how state money is actually kind of on the run from the combination of tech giants and and private banking, and and it's this constant kind of war over uh, who controls not like not issuance because both the state and banks can can issue dollars, but over the kind of momentum the, of, of the industry in general. And um, and I think B- Brett makes a really good point that if you let the banks entirely win and let state money kind of go by the wayside, you're losing a really a set of really important capabilities that 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 we currently have, the anonymity of it and the just the ability to never be uh, you know directly under their thumb and at their at their whim if they want to cancel your account or reverse your transaction or do whatever. Um, so I, I think what Brett's pointing to is is a set of really important things that we should try and maintain in any other alternative currency projects that we do. And that's why I'm really in favor of projects like Berkshire's um, and things like Bristol Pound, where they where they keep a, a reserve and they interact with state money by keeping a one one reserve, because that allows you to still kind of get the benefits of state money. While, especially in like the Berkshire's uh, case, where they now have a digital app that still interacts with with state money and banks, um, you get the same convenience of an Apple Pay or something else where you can pay with your phone. Um, but you get the added benefit of it, uh, you know, benefiting your local economy because you're keeping all of that value local. Those dollars aren't getting exported back out, but it's still connected to the state money. Uh, you know that. Uh, is kind of keeping the banks at bay in, in a sense, right? So right, but once, but as soon as you, uh, sorry to interrupt you, as soon as you do that, as soon as you have a, a local currency, whatever you want to call it, a, a, a separate currency that is backed one for one by dollars or pounds or whichever national currency you're using, that gets the regulators really nervous because that's called a stable coin. It's kind of, it's a kind of a narrow bank. Uh, they want to make sure that the, the, the thing is properly backed because if they don't, you know, if, if it's not properly backed, as we've seen with, Tether from time to time, it's, it causes a great deal of instability. Um, you can sure. encourage people to leave the, the existing financial system into your new digital, digital variant, and then you have a stable coin that, like Terra or Luna, turns out to be totally hollow. There's nothing there. People lose all their money. And these are these t- these are typically areas where you know, once you start to do this, the regulator steps in, you know, very very fast and very very hard. Comes down very hard. So um, how yeah. do you get how do you get around that obstacle? Because I can see 
what you're describing as a as a desirable outcome, but I can't see how you get get to the get to that point without incurring costs that would would make it non viable. I think the key is um, transparency and also accepting that there's going to be complexity and multiple steps in getting around the actors that you're trying to avoid, uh, like uh, being dependent on. Right. Um, so in the instance of Berkshires, I think it's key that it's run by a nonprofit that whose its own financials are entirely transparent. Um, there's no profit motive in what they're doing. Uh, their only goal is the community development of their and economic development of their regional area. Um, and so it's a it's a lot once you remove the profit motive from those activities um, around, you know, economic value creation and and, you know, anything that they might be doing, uh, that's really powerful because that what it gives up in its kind of ability to grow massively immediately, it gains in being extremely secure from a principles uh, and and theory perspective. Right. I know what's, what's uh, you know, what did you know? Did you notice any difference when, when Cindy went from profit seeking to nonprofit? Did you notice a difference in the way people interacted with you or the kind of people that got interested in the platform? I think it was similar audiences the entire time. What we noticed is that um, trust in Symbi as a platform went up uh, by a couple of points on an NPS score, like pretty pretty significantly, um, pretty immediately after that. And I think that is something we expected, and is something that made a, a lot of sense that that would happen because you know now financials are are published. We have you know are the the same as any nonprofit. We kind of go to all those links. Whereas with a for-profit, uh, I think in a lot of cases, people just want to give a startup the benefit of the doubt that they're fulfilling the mission that they say they're they're fulfilling. But there's also going to be a, a significant portion of people who are always going to kind of wait and see and not want to get as involved unless uh, they feel like there's no one else like benefiting from work they might be volunteering or, 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 or value they might be providing. So in that sense, it's been a lot easier to recruit volunteers and, and things like that. And basically, essentially allows Symbi to operate on a, a basically zero budget other than our hosting where we're all volunteer team, um, uh, all volunteer driven. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, requests on Symbi from its normal members, uh, requests from Symbi, the organization are also strewn in there the same way. But what happens if it takes off? What happens if you get, you know, a, a ten times or a thousand times or a million times the number of users? How do you how do you how do you scale it up? Uh, so it's set to scale very well right now. The the uh, original startup team that was for profit raised a bunch of money, spent most of that money on marketing, and grew the the community to a pretty significant size actually uh, before they ran out of money and and kind of let it run fallow for a couple of years. But there were. 200,000 or so Symbi accounts uh, in, back in 2016-ish, 2017, when, when it uh, was kind of stopped getting invested in. So we know that the potential is there. Um, they had some really good uh, you know, viral mechanics that they poured a ton of money into in terms of advertising. Um, so we grow organically these days. We, you know, we use whatever free advertising Google wants to give us for being a nonprofit. Um, uh, but we're still growing at an organic rate or a positive rate organically, and we're, you know, we're happy with slower growth uh, uh, that's sustainable uh, rather than, you know, dumping money in. 
Right. And, and, and I mean, it, it's in many ways, what you're doing takes us back to the origins of money, because people now, I think, accept that you know, the anthropologists view that money started as a kind of way of keeping record of mutual obligations within a, a small community. And then it exactly it got, it got it got scaled up eventually with all kinds of problems ensuing. But that's still yeah. the, 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 the root of money. And, and I suppose with with uh, with our with the Internet, we have a chance to to recreate that um, in different kinds of communities. Exactly. Yeah, that it allows us to start that platform by connecting people remotely and then gr- continue to grow it by increasing our, our local activity. Um, one thing I like to tell people when I'm describing what Symbi is, is uh, that people are really used to paying a stranger to get something done with national currency, right? It's just this this common thing that we all use. People are also really used to doing reciprocal favors with people that they know and trust in 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 normal life. And you could get the same thing done through either of those methods, right? Potentially, you could have someone, you know, fix a fix pipes or something in your house or whatever, and they and they could both work. But what Symbi allows and, and uh, doesn't really exist, there's no space for this really right now, is to have essential strangers be doing reciprocal favors for each other, where there is technically some accounting involved. There are Symbi credits involved that mediate that exchange. But because they don't mean anything outside of that community, they only mean something uh, for the people who are willing to provide services within this community. It uh, it allows you to get a lot of the benefits of doing kind of reciprocal favors for people and the, the feel-good nature of it. And yet you still get things done without having the kind of transactional, like fully transactional experience of just Paying a stranger to do something and never and never talking to them again, right? So it's kind of starting to bridge those gaps a little bit with what's technically what's formally a currency, but doesn't have the kind of commodity currency properties that people, especially in the crypto world, are used to thinking of money as. Yeah, David, thank you so much for explaining that so clearly, and uh, it's a very interesting uh, project you're working on, and uh, wish you lots of luck. Thanks so much, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for taking time to come on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support our work, you can do so via Patreon. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.